The following episode contains strong language, mentions of drug use, violence and suicide. Discretion is advised. Conversations on the Margins is a Go Loud original podcast. This episode is called The Governor. I suppose the episode is not just about being a governor, but it's an important role within the prison system. There's lots of different governors, there's different ranks of governors, and this conversation is with Governor Eddie Mullins about life within the Irish prison system and through his perspective, because obviously we're hearing from people who are in the prison system, and even though he's in the prison system in terms of working in the prison system, he will come with his own perspective on it. But what I do love about Governor Mullins is he is open to exploring what happens inside the prison system. And for a long time, these places have been quite closed to that type of interaction with the public and with the community. And you'll see from the episode that some of that is from the likes of media ramping things up or saying things about the prison system. Or obviously an important part is respecting victims and victims' families. So there's all these different things to balance when we begin to shine a light into the prison system. Is it achieving what it sets out to achieve? Are we doing what we say we're doing in terms of human rights? And the conversation with Eddie, I suppose, allows us to explore some of that stuff. I put several scenarios to Eddie that come up through the conversations with the lads in Weefield, such as the importance of touch, sexual relationships, hugs. All the concepts like forgiveness and punishment are also explored in this podcast. And in many ways, Eddie's insights and views are in line with that of the prisoners. And I think we may have different ways that we're going to have to go about achieving things but I don't think anyone that's contributed to the podcast is miles apart in terms of what needs to happen. Imagine for a moment not being able to touch or hug a loved one, your children, your dying mother. In the last two years I think some of us may have got a taste of that but in prison touch is hard to come by. Its impact is everlasting. Although Eddie understands this, the prison system hasn't found a way to make touch between families more accessible. Hugs and love are a part of any actual rehabilitation. And in listening to the likes of Anto and Senan, we can hear just how much they want to be cuddled by their children and to cuddle their children. As close as it can always keep in your heart As close as it can get So, Eddie... Um, I'm delighted, I suppose, to have you on the podcast. We'll I'll let you introduce yourself in a few minutes. Um, I suppose all week I've been recording in the prison. So this is the first in-studio one. Um, and I have to say, being on site in the prison in Weefield has um, given me, I suppose, so much energy, I think, for uh, not only the podcast, but also for the, the message and the cause and the um, efforts, I suppose, to really show human life, um, you know, even at its most restricted and to be able to give insights. And I suppose I just want to thank you for facilitating us and the Irish Prison Service for allowing us in to have those conversations. I mean, I, fe- I feel honoured and grateful, I suppose, that the, the men will talk to me and then obviously the prison tr- system has trusted me to go in and do that. Because I know it's not easy because you're like, you know, it's a prison at the end of the day, you know, and it's like, um, so all week has been really powerful. But um, can I ask you, I suppose, maybe to tell me a little bit about who you are and I suppose why you also allow 
those type of projects to happen because I think that says something as well about you and, and others in the prison system that will allow me go in and have those conversations. Well, I'm laughing in that you send me allowing you in because when you twisted my arm up over my neck, I hadn't much choice but to <laughs> let you in. But anyway, so Eddie Mullins is my name. Um, I'm with the Irish Prison Service now for the last 31 years. Um, uh, I'm from Dublin. Uh, I joined the prison service in 1991. I was a chef before I joined the prison service. Worked in the kitchens for a number of years and then went for couple of promotions, worked in the work training area, which would be uh, skills for prisoners. Uh, moved from that then to assistant governor, assistant governor to governor Lock and House, then back to Mount Joy and Wheatfield. I'm currently in Wheatfield. So I've I've worked in seven prisons. Uh, there's 12 in all, so I've, I've done over half of them. Um, prison system, strange, uh, strange environment. You know, it's very confined, as you know. Um, a lot of people in very confined spaces, a lot of energy, a lot of uh, tension. Um, and I've always felt that when we bring people in from the community, from every section, from all, would say, sections of the community, um, it's good for both staff and the prisoners because it puts a different perspective on it. It also opens it up to people in the in the community. I mean, I think you said yourself, your your experience over the week was somewhat different to what you expected and a lot of people say that when they come into prison they you know first of all people remark about the relationship between uh, all staff and prisoners is generally good I think it's, I've always said it's probably a, it's in our DNA that we're talkers and and that's the same in prison prisoners talk to staff staff talk to prisoners there isn't the same uh, barriers that would be experienced in other jurisdictions that's not to say there aren't problems and there aren't uh, I suppose personality clashes of course there are but in general uh, the prison system is probably different to what people expect. So you ask me why why we invite people in and why we welcome people in. Exactly to showcase the prison in many respects. Also to uh, to create an awareness about, you know, the impact of imprisonment. And I, I think one of the things that a lot of people misunderstanding about, about uh, sending a person to prison is that it's not just the person that goes to prison. It is the family, it's the community, it's children. You know, like it has such a big impact um, across so many people. Um, and I think I've always felt that prison should be a last resort. Uh, and I'll always say that every opportunity I get, this is an opportunity for me to say it. I think we look, we must explore, you know, every good alternative and try and find uh, ways for people who have wronged society to pay their debt back without necessarily going to prison. That being said, prison is necessary. There are certain people should be in prison uh, and they've no in, no interest in rehabilitation. They've no interest in in what society can offer them. They want to make money out of uh, criminality. And the prison's the right place for them. But I think, you know, it, it's, it's a cross-section of society and mm. I suppose that's all I can say on that. Lynn, really. Yeah, I think it's interesting then when you're saying like, you know, um, the lads who are in prison um, having some form of a relationship I suppose with the people who work there and um, and that being positive and also sometimes having its tension and at the end of the day uh, prison staff are there to, to do their job and I was kind of I was thinking of um, one of the conversations I had with one of the lads around where he he almost called jail home and, you know, he was talking about being brought back to the jail after visiting his mother after she passed away. And he said, and then they brought me back up and then he paused and he said jail. And he corrected the phrase really, really quickly. And I'm wondering, like, you know, how does it feel um, to go in and out of a prison for your job? But then also have some sort of understanding that this is a place where even though against their will, in a sense, 
it's where they live and is there effort you know the way you can move people from cells and wings and this so you know do people become attached to certain parts of the prison to make it feel like their home whether it's how the cell looks whether it's about the belongings that they have in it but how do those two things match in terms of a place of work and a jail being a home yeah, I suppose uh, when you said that to me earlier, it, it, it never really struck me. I've I've never heard somebody describe prison as home, but I could see why they would. And I could see particularly people that are doing long sentences mm. where they, you know, might be a life sentence or a particularly long determined sentence where, you know, they've probably spent more time in prison than they have in any other home. So I can understand why they would consider it homes. And they do, uh, they certainly do try to adapt their cell uh, where they are to make it more comfortable, to make it more their own personal space. Um, And particularly prisoners doing long sentences, they will have a single cell. So they will make it like their home. You can see that and, you know, they'll have lads will make curtains, believe it or not, to put on the cell window, to take the bare look off the cell window. And they'll have obviously photographs of family members so they do try and personalise there's no doubt about it and we also as an organisation try and develop particular areas where people who are doing long sentences can transition from we'll say a a, a strict prison environment to maybe an independent living skills unit where they will have uh, an opportunity to learn living skills like Maybe it's ironing, for example. People have to iron it. It might be cooking for themselves. It might be, you know, learning any sort of a skill in a kind of a a semi-normal environment. Now, it's still not normal because it's in the, it's inside the walls of a prison uh, and it is uh, there are still prison staff there. You're still restricted in terms of your unlock time. So so there is a lot of restrictions, mm. but it is a bit more relaxed. But yeah, it is. It I'm, t- is. I'm thinking of another uh, conversation that I had where the lad said, and that idea of independent living, right, and moving towards that. And I know eventually, um, or hopefully, you'll either end up back in the community or in the open prison, but that independent living space, say, within Weefield, and you're looking at the, the general stuff like cooking and cleaning and all those kind of tasks. But what struck me about one conversation was that this lad said that he was waiting to go out on the yard and he had a half an hour on the yard and he's standing there 10 minutes and the door hadn't been opened. And he's getting angry and he's trying to control his anger and then he turns around to the guard and he's like, you know, mm. will you ever open that door? You know, I only have a half an hour. And the guard said, did you try push it? And he just said, I never, I'm in here that long. I never thought about just pushing the door. It was open all along because he's so used to the door being opened. You step in, the door being closed and you step in. And when you think of things that people need to learn, you don't really think you you don't really think of those things like the opening of your own door. And it's like, I just, it just really blew me away. Like, And it's strange that you say that because one of the things that lads generally lads more obviously the majority of the prison system is made up of men uh, one of the things that they struggle with is communal dining so for example you collect your food and you take it back to your cell and you sit down and you eat it and then we introduce a, an independent living skills unit where people sit and eat communally and they're, they feel awkward they, because you know if you're watching the tell you might just use your hands you may do whatever you want but when you're sitting in company you try to be more polite so they have to adapt to all that so that's a simple thing like sitting and eating a meal with somebody else when you haven't done it for many years is a huge, you know, it's a huge challenge, you know. You're going to laugh when I say this, but another thing that a lot of them have never experienced, and you say, surely because they say prisons are full of them, but mobile phones, for example. Mm-hmm. Even though there are mobile phones illegally in prisons, prisoners don't have, unless you're in an open centre, they don't have access freely to a mobile phone. So the whole idea that we would use our phone for everything now, for no matter what you do, you need to pay a bill on the phone, uh, that's all new to them, you know. And, 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 and these are the kind of things that... 
as an organization we struggle with because we've we ban phones so by banning phones we're not giving people access to modern technology my own view is phones are in prisons anyway so if we legalize them they become less of an issue they become less of a, 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 a there's less pressure on people to bring them in okay so they become a nothing issue yes there is issues around people using mobile phones to run criminal businesses one of it in my view, it's quite small. I think most people would use a mobile phone to contact a family member or whatever. But they're the kind of things that they're not used yeah. to. And and it's about reintroducing that, you know. One lad actually spoke about that. So he spoke about it not even in the context of, say, the likes of we feel prison, but in an open prison. So obviously in the open prison, you get your little block you, right? <laughs> and, uh, you know, like I know lads that actually that left the open prison a year ago, two years ago, that are still using that little Nokia yeah. because they never learned how to use the smartphone after all the years they spent in prison. They're a bit afraid of it. So they haven't progressed onto smart technology. I no, I swear to God. Yeah. Right. It's a family member. He's on his <laughs> Nokia. But what this lad in the prison said um, was that, Sometimes in an open prison, if you're caught with a smartphone, you can be sent back to the closed prison. And he was kind of pointing out something really actually, in in my mind, makes a lot of sense is that the risk of sending someone back to closed prison for having a smartphone is greater and much more of a detriment to society, his progress, every, all the hard work he's done to get to the open prison than the risk of having the smartphone. And that we don't look at each case in a relative way and try and measure risk up in terms of how we make decisions about punishment. When you're saying that, I was saying, now, how am I going to answer this? And how am I going to give it there? And, and the funny, the point you made was, it should be the individual and it should be risk assessed on the individual with yeah. the smartphone. I was in lock and house for a number of years and we got to know the prisoners and a prisoner with a smartphone wasn't, in my time, wasn't an automatic return to a, to a closed prison. Okay. It would depend on, and I can't speak now for the current governor, so oh, yeah, maybe maybe it's not, uh, it's still not an automatic return, but you're, you're entirely right. I mean, it has to be based on the risk posed by this guy having the smartphone. Okay. And if, and you know, like we have our, our intelligence gathering, we know individuals who are, generally speaking, engaging in in. in criminal activity. So it, it's not that difficult to establish whether a guy with a smartphone has simply been ringing his partner or his children or whatever, or if he's been running a criminal empire. So I agree with you. It should be based on the risk assessment. And sending a guy back to an open uh, from an open centre is a retrograde step. There's no doubt about it because there's an automatic cooling off period before they can get back to the open centre. And then you're starting again. And then you're also being possibly um, your people are looking at you with one eye closed or one eye open saying, is this guy going to do the same again? So I do agree with you. Mm. It should always be risk risk uh, based and yeah. risk assessed. Yeah, no, I agree. And it obviously is that there's no set policy. So it can depend on who's managed. And I think that's like that in any sector. It's personalities yeah. and leadership is different and you yeah, know. and the policy would be that uh, you can, you're entitled to have a, a, a non-smartphone, for want of a better word, what's it, a, a, what would you call it, a Nokia, as you call yeah. it. Uh, but the funny thing about it is because they're, it's so old, we've huge difficulty sourcing them, right? So now we, we find it hard to get Nokias for people. So. But there's a few lads going around, Tala, that haven't progressed, so you might pay them a <laughs> few bob to buy back, <laughs> buy back the Nokias. <laughs> No, we do all right. We live on the independent living land, so yeah. we get a budget off the governor. Okay. Uh, maybe two hundred euro a month. Yeah. And uh, we just cook between us. And you, you get so you, you do all your cooking and stuff. So that's all your preparation. Talk me through a little bit of the, that because that's so important, isn't it? Like 
in terms of then getting ready for your first time in your adult life, really, um, being out there in the world and it's right down to even being able to do all your cooking and stuff. So do you get to like cook like meat, like full meals basically? Full on meals. They, yeah. they don't allow you to, like you can order in frozen chips, or, but it's all fresh produce and okay. mince and chicken. So, yeah. And what's your specialty? Oh, I can make a pizza. One of the other prisoners taught me how to make a pizza, yeah, from, yeah, yeah from scratch. Yeah. So we have that at least once a week. Okay. And then the other lads cook like burgers and chips and lasagna. So we all take turns and doing a bit of cooking. Yeah, that's nice. No, but you're right. Yeah, look, at this prepare you for the outside. Yeah. You know, how to budget. Yeah, well, look, I've I do, I, I done it for myself, but then when I start working with people from the SEG and I've seen that I was capable of helping people, you know, it does give you a confidence boost. What stood out to me as well over the last week is um, this real definitive moment in people's lives where something clicks and something doesn't click in terms of what they try to get out of being in prison and make the best of this terrible situation that they're in and even though I know there's probably loads of strands but what was in front of me was you know lads deciding you know if I'm going to do anything while I'm here now I need to engage in the school one young lad said he'd never experienced anyone that ever played an instrument and he says I'm learning the piano and I was like there's a piano piano behind you and he plays it and he'd never experienced an instrument before so you have all these beautiful moments happening in a space of confinement and there's something beautiful and sad about it at the same time because obviously I feel like imagine investing that type of effort in those young Mm. men at a much earlier stage Mm. but now they're at the stage where they're going right I'm here and this is what I'm going to do and then the other on the other hand then you have that they had this constant battle between what they called hitting the net right so it's like you know using drugs sourcing drugs chasing drugs and some of them kind of were saying that the energy that it took to source drugs, trying to get drugs, trying to get the different landings, all of that, that that they realised that that was taking a lot more energy than using that same type of energy to actually invest in themselves in a positive way. So, like, I think um, when people hear these men speak, for me, so many of them are mental health advocates. They don't even know it. They'd be amazing community workers. They talk about wanting to be football coaches. But and I want to encourage that. But my fear is I encourage that, you encourage that, the school or the teachers encourage that. But then society rejects that from the second they leave the prison system. You know, how what, how can we create a society that allows people to actually continue the journey that they started within the prison system? And, you know, that is the key. And, and the funny thing about it is conversations like this and, and, and constantly raising those issues are the only way we're going to chip away at this. Because it is interesting. You can commit... And people look at... We say, for example, every so often, the, the CSO or one of these organisations will, will release figures around recidivism or, or, or prison numbers. And it's usually... If it's reported in the media, it's usually at the backdrop of a prison, OK? So they talk about uh, uh, recidivism in the... We'd say 20 to 30 age back is such and such a percentage. And a reporter will take it from the prison. And I've always said, recidivism doesn't happen in prison. Recidivism happens in the community. So you go into prison and you get 12 month sentence and you serve nine and you come out. You're now a free person. 
You engage in criminal activity and you end up back in prison. That's where the recidivism happens in the community. And the only way it'll stop is when the community, first of all, accepts that people have paid their debt or whatever language or term you like to use for a prison uh, prison sentence and then provides opportunities and supports people coming back out. And like, I've met loads of people, particularly in the last 10 years or so, various organisations who are very committed and say, yes, we will, we will, we will, you know, put our money where our mouth is in, in many respects and give somebody a job or support them through education or whatever. But the challenges are so great that it, it, the success rate is very low, and that's because when a, when a guy comes out for, comes out of prison, uh, very often he struggles with accommodation. He still may have been dabbling with drug with his drug addiction, and he may may have issues with drugs. So the supports that bad and all as they may be in prison are completely anonymous when he comes out of the prison, and the first person he meets usually is somebody that he made connection with in prison, who says, "Look, I'll sort you out when you come out," and their intention is to keep him back taken back into, into criminal activity criminal behaviour so it is absolutely on society and I don't mean that the prison system doesn't have a role of course it does and it is a dual role you're talking about keeping people safe you're talking about rehabilitating people and you're talking about you know, keeping community safer but it's in the community where um, where the biggest I suppose absence of support is or that's the wrong word I'm trying to mm. use but you know the point I'm making it, it is absolutely about getting a guy when he comes out or a girl when they come out of prison and, and helping them and it is a, it's not straightforward because if it was straightforward we'd have solved it years ago these people have huge challenges you know the reason they ended up in prison in many respects is because of issues that happened before they went to prison and, and that's the thing isn't it when we think of the word rehabilitation right um, I use that term but I really have to engage with what that means because we were rehabilitating people in prison for criminality right without rehabilitating the society that created any sort of the systems that led to the issues that led them in prison. So then we make it very much about the individual. No, you need to change. No, you need to be rehabilitated. But everything else around that person continues to to be broken. And like the funny thing is rehabilitation years ago meant fixing somebody who was sick. So rehabilitation was you were sick, you needed to be fixed, right? So, uh, now that's probably putting it very uh, bluntly. So even the term rehabilitation suggests that there's something wrong, right? And that you have to repair it, right? And the reality is, um, like, you or I could end up in trouble in the morning very easily something just and it's usually uh, something as a catalyst to snowball of events and then you end up on a, on a, on a slippery slope or a spiral whatever word you want to use mm. to describe it and that's what happened most of these people and it very often happened in, in school where uh, particularly I think would say education years ago where if you weren't engaged there was no one there to say look we'll help this guy, he's not engaged. You were pushed to the back of the class, then you're eventually outside the class, didn't go to school, nobody really cared. And that's how they slipped off the system. And like, it's amazing, you did your podcast this week in the school. The energy in the school is just, and it's in every prison, it's not just in Wheatwood, you're going to Mount Joy, you're going to the school, there's great energy, there's great enthusiasm. And you talk about the guy learning the piano. Like, one thing I, I, I don't see prisoners as often as I used to when I was a different rank, but you, the one thing I always say is take every single thing you can out of a prison. Like, if you can go out of prison and play the piano and say, well, you know, I hated that kip, but I couldn't play the piano before I went in. Mm. At least I got something. Or I did uh, whatever state exams or I did uh, um, I did an apprenticeship or I started an apprenticeship. I learned how to cook, whatever it is. At least you could say I got something positive out of prison instead of going in and saying, you know, that was the worst three years of my life and I got nothing out of it. 
Isn't it great to be able to come out and say it? Like, it is, and especially an instrument because you can go everywhere yeah. in an instrument. And that's what they said. So mm. the ones that were engaged in art, in music and um, in, in, in those universal skills, like they did, like they were talking about that, yeah. that that can be you. They can go anywhere with that, and you can. know, and it's about us supporting that when they leave. Like I was sitting there coming up with all, I was like, oh my God, I'll set up an arts collective, an after prison arts mm. collective. And like, that's where you hire your artists, your party makers, your, you know, your instrument players. And it's like, there's so much that could be done yeah. to meet that on, on when, when people get out. And I think we need to do there, more like, of that. Yeah. I think, I think the prison service, we do provide a lot of like education there's lots of work training activities but for example I remember a few years ago in Lachlan they had a great uh, uh, one of the head teachers was, uh, one of the teachers was big into basket making and they did basket weaving classes and like the standard of baskets and I would just flicked on the television the other night and there was uh, some nationwide one of these programmes had a, a, a basket weavers workshop and they were making a living out of it a really good living out of it and like that's it might sound obscure but people are into kind of quality produce now and they're the kind of things that, you know, people in prison can develop their skills and they do. Now, some of the art is rubbish. I mean, and some of it's really good, but you can't tell somebody who's after spending six or seven hours painting that, like, put it in the bin. Yeah. But, and you for know, them, there's a therapeutic aspect to oh, that is, anyway and is, a mindfulness is. aspect and mindfulness Completely. came across massively. I've got to discover A little something to make me sweeter Oh, baby, Like, yes, the system is punishing you, but what do we do as well to keep on punishing ourselves? And do we keep bringing up those bad memories sometimes as a form of self-punishment? Mm. You know? Is it, if you keep going back to the past, as you say, you'll never move on. It's just, you're stuck in that rut for the rest of your life. Mm. You know what I mean? It's time to, it's, you have to let go. Like, you'll just it's move on. And the people have to, that are around you have to let go and move on. And do you want to get stuck in that rut and stuck in that quicksand? They're going to drag you down with them if you put your hand out. So do, you th- do you think then the fact that some people or we all can struggle to move on from difficult times actually has a negative impact on society because people can't just get on with their lives then and do the right thing? Because if you're going to keep being held accountable for something that's already happened in a yeah. point in time and you're never allowed to move on from that, does that have a negative impact on people being able to live a happier life. Of course it would, yeah. yeah, yeah it does. Give up. Like, yeah. You, take, you take a child that does something wrong on you. Like, yeah, you might be mad for 10 seconds or whatever it is, depending on what it did. But you get over it and you forget about it. It's done and dusted. But when you're coming from a prison setting and your class is doing something wrong, that's a different stigma altogether. And it's not put on by us because we all get on and we live a life it is. It's put on with people that's outside looking in. It's not from people inside looking out. Like it's, it's a different type of like a forgiveness that you're trying to say. It's a, it's a bit of a shame and thing. Like with a kid is you're grounded stuff like that. It's over and done with. Whereas with people coming out of prison, it, it's different. Like we we've moved on to a certain extent, and it's people that's looking in on us that we're actually saying that we need forgiveness of them. Whereas yeah. we've got on with it ourselves. We've We've passed that, we've got over that hurdle. Yeah, right, it might not be an easy, but we've gone through it, it's over, it's done with now, we're ready for the next chapter, if you want to say, but it's, as I say, it's outsiders looking in that constantly <coughs> are like a thorn in your side, basically, and they're judging all Jess the time. That's what I was going to say, it's like, us like judging you. Like, they have to say, I forgive, so, 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 so
That's what it is. It's, it's, it's a form of judgment, isn't it? Yeah, so if someone who are you? wants to keep holding you accountable or shaming yeah. you, now, and yeah. not even directly related to, 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 to ourselves, like not even our direct family, so but doing just about 15 or 20 years in prison and you haven't changed your life to the whole prison system. Then you walk out the gate, the paper takes a picture of you and brings everything back up about you. Mm. What else are you meant to do? Like, you're just going to duck on your head, don't want anyone to see you. You're still being judged. Like, you know what I mean? Yeah. So the punishment never ends? Never ends. No. Never end. It's a cycle after cycle when it's coming to... You want to start it off forgiveness. We're going from judgingness to the hurt, the shame. Just on that one word, it's just a big, massive cycle that's... As I always say, it's the outsiders looking in that need to reevaluate their life. Like you know what I mean? And they're curious, and it's the well, most man just knows he parkers really. Oh, he's only yeah. out of prison, out the window. Well, look at him, still the same, hasn't changed. Got a bit older already. Slowly, walking through Bally I wonder what he's doing now. We're a bad man. I wonder what he's up to now. And the police are coming down the road. Must be for him. Waiting for it to fail again. So yeah. just because you're only that's other people's. Views, you know. What, It'd be a scandal when you get out. What impact do you think other people's views then have on your existence when you leave prison? If you let it get to you, you'd you, you fuck your head up. Or if you just turn around and look, see, you just walk off. Mm. Let so them. People are more able to do that. Than I know, I know, I know what you're saying. But uh, I, I'd say if people took it ahead, they, they probably will get into a depression. They probably will come, won't come out of the house. Probably go back up to all sorts. You wouldn't know. Mm. Probably, have, like you said, they think it's a stigma against them. That they go to the shop and the, the man behind the counter is looking and everyone's looking at them. I'm fucking hell here. Because you mentioned I suppose the school system mm. and how um, that has really let down people at different points and obviously it has improved in many ways over the years. But there was a couple of people that... Um, were just constantly told they were ticked, they were stupid. Um, turns out they obviously had dyslexia, but the school system wrote them off mm. from the offset, just from the offset. And that comes up so much, dyslexia, ADHD. Um, and, you know, I think that's where I'm getting to then is the fact that looking at the level, I suppose, of undiagnosed issues within the prison system. So it's already hard enough as a working class person to get access to diagnosis for autism, for ADHD, for dyslexia, to be able to get any of your needs supported. So, you know, um, this was when was it? Probably about four years ago, I think, was it that I came to you with the the, the autism project, <laughs> yeah, which I think yeah. is a, a positive thing for us yeah. to talk about. And, yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah. Um. So I know Jordan won't mind me saying, but Jordan's experience of going to the prison and she's so in tune with everything, and she found it so horrific. She'd sensory stuff. She, you know, even the abruptness of how a guard is trained, then coming across with the visitors as if the families are somehow being punished too in how they're being communicated with, are told, do this, do that. If you get it wrong, you're marched back out to come back into security and there's no kind of like lightness to the communication. And she used to come home from the prison and vomit all the way home on the bus. It was a really horrific experience. And I think why I why I think your you know your kind of mindset in the prison system is so good is because you know as soon as I bring something to you you're like well what do we do tell me what to do what is it like how do we fix it and you're so open to listening which I think is brilliant and I think we need that everywhere do you know what I mean and it's like so now um, we're at a stage where that kind of idea and that experience that because you said how families 
end up with a life sentence as well because they're the ones that are bringing up money. They're the ones that are bringing up clothes, having to have visits over counters, behind screens. So they're also being impacted. So they're a, an important part of someone's journey. Journey, mm-hmm. And they're the ones that are going to be there to support someone when they leave and yeah. how important that is. But will you tell us a little bit about the work that you've been doing with As I Am over the last few years since we've had that conversation? Well, uh, uh, do you know, Lynn, it's unfortunate that it's nearly four years gone on because, and I suppose circumstances really were, were dictated the pace at which we moved on with this project. But again, and it, I mean, just the way you described Jordan's experience, it was exactly the way you described it to me four years ago. And I remember thinking, I said, Jesus, you know, if if I thought, no, you're wrong, but I looked at the way we operate and I said, you know, you're dead right. There is there is an abruptness. To, it's, it's understandable from, I can see from my colleague's point of view, why there's an abruptness, because so often people use visits as an opportunity to bring contraband in, to bring drugs in, to bring mobile phones in, whatever it might be. And there's always, uh, there's, there's collateral damage and there's people who are innocently coming up to visit a prisoner, to visit a loved one, whatever it might be. And they're dragged into that whole real abrupt, you know, austere approach, the, the searching of the dog, all of the things that, you know, that are necessary in many respects, but are, could also be done with a, maybe a more a softer approach. And so when you t- explain to, to me about Jordan's experience, I said, well, you know, this is a really good opportunity to improve our standards, not just for people with autism, but for people in general. So mm-hmm. um, engaged with As I Am, they, they um, yeah, like, so amenable to come in and, and train our staff about simple little subtle changes that could make such a difference to somebody with autism. But as I say, yeah. uh, what is it? Arising, a rising boat yeah. lifts, a rising yeah. tide lifts all boats. And, mm. and it would be the same for like children who are not autistic, but still that experience is not particularly pleasant coming into a prison, standing still, a dog walking around you, whatever it might be. And all those things that, you know, that can leave people traumatised. And certainly... That, that that first five minutes when you come to a waiting room and you register to go in to see somebody in prison and then you go to the um, the searching area and then you eventually get to the visiting box. So the five minutes that you know, that uh, in advance of your visit has already traumatised people going in. So the whole enjoyment of the visit is lost because you're still, if you're traumatised by the search, you're not thinking about the person you're visiting. You're thinking, well, Jesus, you know, did that really happen or did it? So... We, we, we worked with As I Am and they identified a few areas that they felt we could certainly improve. One would be our communication, even physical things like lighting in the area. We put a sensory room in. It's, it's not open yet, but it will be open very shortly. And I, I just, I, I think, uh, and that hasn't even touched at autism within the prisoner population. This was just for the experience of people coming into prison, particularly children. OK, so uh, and I know, I mean, one of the guys from As I Am came in to have a meeting with the staff and he arrived at the gate and uh, he came in. Uh, I had arranged for the chief to go and meet him, but the chief wasn't there. So he had a mobile phone on him and he arrived in and the officer said, you know, you could get six months for that or whatever. And by the time the chief and I got to him, this guy was thought he was come to prison. He thought he wasn't going to get out. <laughs> so he was so traumatised over. And it was just a simple comment. And I don't think it was even said in any uh, abrupt manner. It was just, you know, the reality is if you smuggle a mobile phone in and you're convicted, you could get six months. But, you know, you could get six months for that. And the poor guy was traumatised. So it's an example of we would be talking and, and you know, what we think would be quite normal to us could be a major, uh, um, uh, I won't say catastrophe, but major trauma for yeah. somebody who's not used to it. So 
I'm giving you a very long-winded no, answer back. here. So getting back to, to As I Am, we've worked with them um, and we hope to be accredited as the first prison in Ireland to have an autism-friendly certificate, right? So it's not a massive... But it's it's a, it's a sign of the organisation modernising, yeah. moving with the times. I mean, you go into most organisations now realise that, you know, certain percentage of the population have autism and what we take as as for granted in in, da- in daily experiences can be traumatic. So we're trying to we're trying to change yeah. that, and no, we'll get there. And when that. we get know, one prison, yeah. Yeah. we'll do it across this. And that's state the thing; then. it's about just you know some prisons stepping out as leaders, and then being able to set the framework and the policies for the others to kind of. There's great competition in, the, in one yeah. prison. So if, we, if a prison introduces an initiative. <laughs> It, it follows suit very quickly yeah, because others compete. So yeah, so it's so get there. here's here's another place for a prison to have leadership, right? So I've visited prisons and stuff in France, and then I've read about ones in the in in um, America and stuff where um, when a prisoner um, is in for a certain amount of time. Um, that they can have um, like overnight visits from their wife or their girlfriend or so the whole idea of human touch of sexual relationships or having some of them have these little bungalows on site where families can come in and you're incentivized to work hard to get to the point where your family can come in and stay in this kind of ordinary house or bungalow and then they leave after the weekend and stuff where is the conversation on that kind of stuff in Ireland well, or does it exist? Not, there isn't much conversation around we'd call them conjugal visits as yeah. we would call them the old I was term. going to but you know what I remembered I can't pronounce it <laughs> so that was my long winded way of saying that <laughs> Well you know it, it, it occasionally comes up as a conversation and to be honest with you if I was to prioritise things that wouldn't be on my on my priority list. Not because I, I mean, not because I would be against it in any way. But I think there are so many other issues that we need to get right before we get to that. For example, we've twelve prisons, and we more or less have uh, um, similar prisoners in each prison. So, in order to get to where you're talking about, we would need to have proper categorization prisoners. Yeah. Okay, so you would have prisoners who have engaged, who have done, like you, you, you get a guy who comes into prison and he is uh, not engaged, right? Now, there might be reasons and there might be genuine reasons why he's not engaged and he may have to deal with mental health issues, psychological, whatever the issues are. But he's not engaged and the last thing he, he it's not that he, that's, that's not the last thing he needs. It's the last thing we need is for, to complicate that and say, well, you know, there's, all of this is chaotic in your life, but your wife can come in at the weekend, right? Maybe that would be the answer. <laughs> Maybe but I you actually would. <laughs> think what we really need to do is categorise our prisoners and certainly, yeah, like our open centres, it's probably where you would look at them. You would say, if we could put Test in yeah. a couple of, of uh, we say, units there where... You, it could be like the family could come in, spend the weekend there, not just the wife, the kids come in and, and it could be a, a way of normalising normalization before people, who, particularly people who've done long sentences, where they could, like, I, I remember talking to a lawyer, I'm, I'm going off track a little yeah. bit, but I remember talking to a guy who's doing a life sentence in Lockenhouse House a number of years ago and he was up for, to be released on licence. And so we'd say, Prior to his release, uh, he had a number of weekends where he'd go home for a weekend and he said, and he'd come back and he said, oh, Jesus, I, says, I don't know how I'm going to cope with this. He had a teenage daughter, right? And he says, and like, I only knew her as a baby. Now she's a teenager and, you know, she has all the issues of it. Or not just because she, it could be he, both 
teenage males and females have issues. You know, they're going through all the, yeah. the whole uh, challenges of growing up. Um, and he said, I, I, I don't know how to cope with that. So you could see where the logic of somebody coming in and spending a weekend in the unit, I'll call it a unit because I'm institutionalised, but we'd say a nice bungalow <laughs> or whatever. A uh, nice cottage. A nice cottage. With an open fire, right? <laughs> and attached roof. And they, <laughs> and they can make dinner together yeah, yeah, and absolutely. they can do normal things. Yeah, and make yeah. love at the end of And it. make love uh, at the end Absolutely. Of it. Well, do you know what it is? You asked me where are we in terms of uh, as as a, as a, an organisation. I haven't I haven't heard that conversation in quite a while. <laughs> it's not that's not to say that we won't get there. But if you look at the countries you talked about, like Norway and Sweden, yeah. would be Denmark. They would be held up as as examples of of progressive penal systems or prison systems. But they have categorisation, and you will go into you like a, a, a deputy a, a group went to Denmark to a prison. Um, which is a really, really high secure prison, right? And the the conditions, I won't say the conditions because that would suggest facilities, but the the rules and regulations that prisons were detained in was like something from the dark ages, right? They also have fantastic open centres and fantastic facilities for people who've moved on in their sentence have progressed. So I do think it's a progressive nature rather than uh, we're kind of, our, our prison system is kind of one size fits all and I think we need to move on and have different different facilities and different uh, arrangements for different stages in the sentence. Does that make sense yeah. to you? Yeah, I just, I just saw something about even torture, holding someone's hand or putting your hand on their shoulder. And I always wonder, you know, what impact that has on a person's well-being to never have human touch. Now, I'm sure they find their own ways with each other to have human touch or, you know. It's not it's not quite as as uh, rigid as that. OK, yeah. so there are there are, for example, uh, if you went into the visits, the normal visiting box and some of the visiting boxes, in the prisons are, are we call them boxes again, the visiting rooms. Yeah. Some of them are quite uh, um, reasonably furnished and they're not too bad. Some of them are quite austere, old fashioned, like you'd see on mm. the TV. So and we're move, like we've moved as an organisation to try and modernise our facilities and certain prisons have better facilities than others. And, but we're trying to get to a standard where it is a bit more about experience and not so much about going in and you know all the security aspects of it but again when you categorise your prisoners and you have people who are engaged who are not hell bent on getting drugs in yeah. so I could go into a visit and I could have a plan to bring in a load of cocaine and you going in to see your boyfriend and there's yeah. no um, difference between the us diff- but we're both sitting at two t- tables yeah. beside each other yeah. and until you get to a stage where you can differentiate between those people who really want and give them yeah. and it, it also but does that type of intel not exist in the well, prison well it does it does and you know and that's what I'm saying we are getting to yeah. that right? but we're not where we want to be yet yeah. but like it, it also and I know you probably hate the word incentive but it creates an incentive for somebody who is uh, saying you know what it is I you know, if I continue to try and get drugs off the net and I continue to do this, I'll never get to that. I'll never be able to sit and hold my girlfriend's hand or whatever it is. Yeah. So, you know, it is about creating an, an incentive as well. And that's what we try yeah. to do. Um, sometimes that sounds like bribery. You know, well, like, I mean, I, everything works on incentive. Yeah, I think yeah. human nature, people are like, well, if I put in something, how does it come back? And that flow of energy. But the reason I only ask is, like I told you outside, and I, I don't know, uh, um, the IPS might give out to me. But when um, one lad got a bit choked up when I when I was interviewing him and I gave him a hug. Now, I knew I was like, oh, yeah, but, you know, I'll give him a hug. And then I got around the prison. <laughs> that I was giving out free hugs. See, I mean, my big problem with that is it's not it's not security. It's you broke COVID guidelines. There is no touch oh, because stop of COVID. That. 
stop. No, that. no, look at you yeah. know, the reality. No, but is. like, so I, you're me- measuring risk, and I'm like, you know, I, I'm there, and I'm taken from. Well, you somebody. measure the risk there. Yeah, I, mean, I you, measure you the risk. You measure the risk, and yeah. and the reality is, like, we aren't we aren't cold fish, even though yeah. we come across as that. We're not. And <laughs> I get that, you know, and actually, and as you said, and I mean, the crack, it, it, the really. The best part of that story for me was the fact that it filtered all around the prison and it they did. all came back looking for us. They all came back looking. <laughs> I gave you an interview yesterday. Yeah, and I, I got the hug. But it was so uh, innocent. It was just, yeah. there was the hug was just like, it was just, they just wanted to be touched. Yeah, yeah. And it was actually really, really nice. Yeah. You know, it was actually really beautiful. So I was hid away, giving hugs all day yeah, in the prison. Look, I'm joking. You know, I'm joking. I'm not. You know, there was three hugs. There was three hugs. <laughs> staff, our staff hug the prisoners every day. You surely you saw that they're hugging them every day. Yeah, I know. I know. All day. Yeah. <laughs> but, no, uh, no. Look, I, I get that. Of course, everybody wants to be a bit of normalisation. That's all that is. Yeah, you know, that's a bit totally. of normal. Yeah. 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 You're making me look terrible here. <laughs> So how does it feel then um, to be, um, I suppose, such obviously a don't care and father that has such a positive relationship with his children and then for that to be interrupted um, in the prison system? Oh, it kills me. Like, as I say, the uncle is my buddy. So I'm missing my buddy and then I'm missing the little one then that was like the little carer for me. It's... It's hard. We, like, I haven't hugged my kids since 19, 2019. Like, and, like, the young fella's gone through his 16th. He's going to be 18 now next month. The little one will be 16 and he'll be 21 by the time we go. I'm missing the best parts of their life for being in here, like, you know, and that's when it hits home. That's when you feel like you're in jail and you're lonely, like, when you're missing the most important parts of their life, like, you know, which what I missed out because I was either locked or I was over in my younger ages, so I don't want them to, you know what I mean, go through sort of like what I did, but we can only do our best for them and stay strong while we're in here, like, the stronger we are for them in here, the stronger they are outside, like, you know. It's it is hard. It's very hard, like especially when with the little girl and all the son, he just does his own thing. Like you know, he's at that age now. But the little one, like you know, you do miss our cuddles and stuff often. Like it's not gonna say I don't I do. Like you know, and that's that's the hard part. Like you know, it is hard. We speak every day because I'm in hands now. I have two phone a day, six minutes. It's not too much because contact with family it's very very important because people don't have family go outside. Make something wrong and come back. One have family, think, think. One make something wrong. Yes. One crime, something like this. Yeah. And uh, my daughter grown in my house. In my, uh, uh, she can go work. Uh, I have business. Uh, I have time from put uh, children in, uh, in different, school. Yes, yes. Yes. And after I arrested me, yes. all two. Uh, Lost job because children don't don't. So don't. yes, so 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 Remu, so right now because you're in here for a situation that you are just trying to help somebody, um, there's now your children don't have anybody don't to have anybody. provide. Yes, don't have anybody. Only now it's two years. Leave uh, because once I go in jail, I put yes. my my wife. This girl, yeah, my yes. wife. I put uh, sell everything because driver, yes. uh, she don't know nothing about business, yes. about yes. was uh, close, was uh, 
Uh, I put uh, sell everything and every month I help uh, uh, bought uh, house, bought house, yeah. So no But, no rent being paid on houses. Yeah, pay rent. Oh. My uh, my house it's uh, with uh, all bill it's uh, one one thousand two hundred. So who pay who who pays that now? Uh, wait, because uh, after going jail, don't go. Uh, Uh, all two don't go in uh, in job and yes. make apply from um, social uh, welfare. welfare. And uh, my wife would take uh, with three children one thousand five hundred, but one thousand two hundred it's my house with bill with everything. Yes, think yes. live with three hundred. Yes, uh, for the rest of the month with three ch- girls with, and school and everything. And everything. Yeah. Well, I wrote my kid letters. Uh, he's only two and a half, like but. I'm, t- I'm telling him, like, obviously his mom's going to read it probably for so it's up to her whether she ever wants to let him read it. But as I said in the poem to him, I never want to lie to him, so our trust is never broken. So uh, I put everything into him and I've sent him out, so hopefully he reads them when he's 18. But she's a little memory box there for him, and anything I've sent out, like his first birthday card, she's very good like that. She keeps everything belong to him, you know. So I'm doing fabric as well. I got him a little blue teddy bear when he was first born, a small blue teddy bear. And then for his first birthday, I got him a bigger one. And the second birthday, the COVID kicked in and there was no school, so I'm going to have to make him a bigger blue teddy. But the minute I'm making him a cushion, with, he loves the dog, uh, Aoife's dog, Kaiser. So I'm after doing a, a teddy bear hold, holding a dog, a puppy. And I said, my son's name, and Kaiser, with love hearts on it. And at the back, it's going to be something fluffy. But it was funny, because when I rang her the other day, she was like, like, oh, I know my son inside out. Probably better, like, just as good as she does, and she's with him 24-7. I find out everything. He threw me man through her and through his nanny. They're very, very good with the kid. And uh, she said to me on the phone, oh, make sure it's fluffy, like something soft. Sure, I knew that already. Yeah. Like, it just kind of laughed at me. So I was saying, is she for real telling me that? Like, just because I'm locked up, I'm not dead. Like, I know I know what my kid likes, like, you know. I already had everything picked out. I had a blue uh, cushion at the back of it. Like, yeah. uh, it was a fluffy thing. It was really, really soft. It was the first thing I said to you when she was asking me what fabric I wanted. I said, something very, very soft. Because he loves like rubbing soft things up to his face since he's born. So, yeah, it was just funny when she said that to me, you know. How does it feel? I'm just keep, you, you've said soft a few times, right? And I think of, I suppose, the experiences that you've had in life that were anything but soft, <laughs> yeah, you know? And yeah. it just feels, it's like I'm looking at you, um, you know, being drawn to the soft for your son. Just, yeah, when you're saying that, that's you know? funny, yeah, because I was thinking of it. Yeah, it's just, I don't know, it's a lovely thing, isn't it? Yeah. Like, I, I like seeing him, like, really cosy and he's really, he's always smiling and all. It makes me happy, you know. I don't ever want him to ever have to go through, I went through it, my dad, so I'm going to be there for him. Is that why you don't ever want to lie to him? Because you feel you yeah, can't trust your yeah, dad? Yeah, it's very, it's very difficult and I don't ever want my son to not trust me. Because if he ever has a problem, I want him to be able to come up and say, no matter how big or small, if he's wrong or right, I want him to be able to come up and trust me and I'm not going to give out to him. I want to, him to understand that I'm here to help him and get him through life, you know. Um, no, what do you want to? Yeah. Okay. You know that song? Yeah. Okay. So much of the conversation over the last few days has been really, really philosophical, actually, um, and really powerful and really allowing um, men who are in prison for all sorts of different reasons on varying different levels to really engage in um, thinking um, about their own sense of self and their own worth in the world uh, beyond being the sum of the things that they've done. And I suppose what I'd like to know is, um, you know, 
how do like and it's kind of harping back to what I said earlier but like how do we create that environment for that to be the case so what I'm really getting at is the idea of forgiveness and punishment so um the lads some of the lads spoke very well about the punishment is going to prison yeah. the punishment is being away from your family the punishment is being away from your children the punishment is losing your freedom but the punishment continues forever and i'm just wondering like what what do you feel from spending so long in the justice system punishment should look like well you're absolutely right when you say that the the the, the to be deprived of your liberty, to be sent to prison, is the punishment. Okay, uh, so the prison system really is—it is about safe, secure custody. That's what we'll have. We, 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 that's how we will describe it. But it's also about providing people with an opportunity. We we'll use the word to rehabilitate, to 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 reintegrate into society. So, but you see, the reality is also when you go to prison. Uh, like, if you want to be a chef, I trained as a chef. I went to catering school. If you want to be a doctor, you go to medical school. And in many respects, if you want to be a criminal, you go to prison. Because when you go to prison, you might spend time with education, some of the time with education, people in education, uh, psychology, um, addiction counsellors. And, you know, those services are there. Could they be better? Of course they could. But like everything else, there's, there's resources are stretched in every area of life, really. But most of the time that a person spends in prison is with other prisoners, right? And and that's really... It's, so it's a school in many respects for criminality, right? So that's why I say in the first instance, we only we should only use prison as a last resort because you are in many ways setting a guy up to fail because sending him in there, as I say, it's a school for, for criminality. Uh, and the other side of it then is, and we touched on it, we're probably repeating ourselves in some respects, but it is about given that person the the second chance when they come back out uh, and there is there is a spectrum so for example you're talking about people who are doing we alluded to this earlier Lynn, about people doing life sentences for example and they spend a portion of it in prison significant portion in many many cases and then they come out and they're on license but they feel they're still serving a sentence while they're in the community and i suppose the reality is that is the nature of a life sentence a life sentence is a life sentence with a portion of it in prison and a portion of it hopefully in the community. Um, and and again, it's it's under the supervision of the probation service and it is about, it is about giving the person who comes out in licence an opportunity, be it employment, and most of them spend significant period of time in prison. So it's a readjustment for them. Um, but it is complex. You know, I, I'm not even giving you the answer I want to give you there. I'm kind of getting confused on this one. No, it's, but, so I suppose... You know, the, what I think I'm getting at is the idea that if we continue to punish, even in relation to those difficult cases of life sentences, right, the aim of, I think, everybody in society is to create safe communities. And my feeling is that if we don't allow people full redemption and release, well, then we decrease safety in community because we never let them be anything else than a criminal, even when they're released on licence. Mm. Because we don't actually ever let them let go of that relationship between them and the justice system. And my feeling is that in many cases that can do more harm because they just think, what's the point? Yeah, you, know, you could be right. I, I'm, I'm not entirely convinced, right? Because yeah. I, I, I can see, I mean, I, I can, I have lots of contact with people who've been the victims of crime. And, and I would try to articulate that, you know, the reality is if you successfully if somebody reintegrates back into society successfully, you know, the, the, the impact will be that 
society will be safer and there will be less victims. Yeah. But at the same time, I, I feel I don't have a right to, to, to say to somebody who has had lost a family member, that's what we're usually talking yeah. about, uh, you know, and say, look, you know, you really, you need to trust us on this one and you need to accept that, you know, that this person has, um, has uh, paid their debt, you know. I, I, I just find it it's such so it a, is hard. It's, it's a, a complex situation. Complex. What we try to yeah. do is, and when people contact us, you know, and usually people are, and unfortunately, uh, and I, I know this is a media platform, but unfortunately, a lot of the negativity is built up by the media. Like, I'll give you an example. I remember a number of years ago, we had a number of life sentence prisoners in Lock and House, and we decided part of the, the resocialization project was hill walking surfing this kind of stuff now it wasn't in, in, like home and away where they're all, they were going out in the middle of winter and surfing it wasn't you know a wonderful uh, relaxing lifestyle it was just about getting out of the environment that we're in and doing something different and one of the events was to climb Crowpatrick and it was Crowpatrick there's a season for climbing this was outside the season it was probably around this time of year around February and unfortunately somebody leaked it to the media and the media a particular media outlet was, was there and photographed these guys on Crowpatrick. Now, they had to get there, so they had to be told it was happening. They took a photograph of the lads, and then there was maybe three or four particular individuals. They did an expose on each one of them, and went through the... And it was fairly gritty stuff, right? Now, I remember reading it and saying, you know, if I was a victim, and I'm not saying I'll ever get over being a victim, but if I was a victim of one of those individuals... And I'm reading all of this detail about how my loved one died and the kind of violence that was used. I was saying, how does that serve anybody? It doesn't serve anybody a victim. It certainly didn't serve the guy who was um, who was out climbing Crowpatrick. I was sensationalising again. So in many respects, the media, you know, they determine the narrative around people who are serving particularly sentences for life sentences or for, uh, for violent offences. So, it, you know, like we, as a society, we all need to say, not just the prison system or community, but media play mm. a huge role. We need to say, you know, we either, we either are genuine about it or we're not genuine about it. And that's where the big question is. Yeah, I agree. I think we leave it there. Okay. I remember when I was young, I was in trouble. Always on the mic, mum never gave me a cuddle. It was hard sometimes, all I think. All I saw was violence, all I saw was drink. Conversations on the Margins is a limited series podcast produced by me, Lynn Rowan, and the team at Alfonso Films, in partnership with GoLoud and funded by the Rowan Trust, with the support of the IPS and Governor Eddie Mullins. Sound on Location was recorded by Dave Fannin and Rob Moore, with editing and sound design by Kieran O'Connor. The music used in this series is written and performed by students in the Educational Centre in Weefield Prison. I would also like to thank the principal and teachers in the Education Centre of Weefield Prison for facilitating this podcast and for all your support. Finally, and most importantly, I would like to thank each and every one of the men who sat down with me, opened up and had a very real conversation. I know it wasn't easy, but I'm very grateful. You'll find conversations on the margins forced every Tuesday on the Go Loud app and all major podcast platforms too. Life will get better when I live my life, man, I know that it's better. Cause I gotta keep my head up, cause I know that my lifestyle's better. And now I'm living real better, gotta stop my cheddar, whatever the weather. Stack it up and keep on flowing man together. We can do this if we all stand together forever. Yep. Yeah.